0: Welcome to an Ernie Ball podcast. It starts now. Hello, this is Evan Ball. Welcome to Striking a Chord, and Ernie Ball podcast. Today, we have James Valentine, guitarist of Maroon 5. I caught up with James at Conway Studios in LA where he was working on some new material. We talk a lot about the story of Maroon 5 and their path to becoming one of the biggest bands on the planet. James offers up some advice for aspiring bands. We talk about the impact of the voice and even get some brief reflections on playing the Super Bowl. We definitely cover some ground. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, James Valentine. James Valentine, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having
0: me. All right. So you have a signature guitar with Ernie Ball Music Man. But there's actually kind of an interesting earlier connection that you have with the company. So back in the olden days, prior to Maroon 5, you were in a band called Square, and you guys actually won the Ernie Ball Battle of the Bands. So maybe you could recap that story and tell us how it might have played into your career.
1: Yeah, it absolutely played in my career. You know, I joke with Sterling all the time that I owe my career to Ernie Ball. You know, it was back in 1999 I was teaching guitar lessons at a music store in Lincoln, Nebraska, called Dietz Music. Shout out to Dietz Music. And one of the one of my colleagues at the store, he entered our band into this Battle of the Bands competition. Uh, I probably wouldn't have even done it myself, but he said, "Oh no, you guys have to do this thing," you know. And so we did it, and we, you know, there was a, a, a local round, and then like a state round, a regional round. We kept on winning. Um, yeah. Which was amazing. It was a surprise to us. And so, when we made it to the finals, you know, part of the making it into the finals was winning uh, airfare out to to Los Angeles. And we said, yep. you know, don't give us airfare; just pay for our moving truck because we're going out there. We we had already had plans to try to go out to LA to try and make it to try and find a record deal. I wasn't sure if this prompted it or if it was already in the works or maybe it expedited it. It expedited it because we did have connection to one Nebraska native named Bob Marlette, who was a producer who was from Nebraska, but he was living out in Los Angeles and he was starting to, to do some stuff. He, he had produced some black Sabbath and also the band saliva. Um, you know, he was known for a lot of heavy stuff, which was not us, but he, he had heard a demo of ours and he was interested in recording us. So we said, okay, that's what we're going to do. We're going to move to L.A. All the bands from Nebraska that you've ever heard of, they had kind of followed that trajectory. They had, they had moved out to L.A. Like Matthew Sweet, if you remember him, great, great songwriter. He actually went to my same high school. And then, of course, the band 311, who are from Omaha, they yeah. moved out to L.A., to sort of find their record deal. So that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to Real move Real quick up. on that. I just had a yeah. thought.
0: Would it not be easier for a band to stay in a city that's less competitive? Or do you think it is better for them to come
1: out to LA? That's that's a really good question. And um, you know, immediately after we moved out to LA, we were questioning ourselves because right after we left, there was sort of the Saddle Creek Omaha uh, explosion of bands like Bright Eyes, Cursive... Uh, the faint, which w- we had all, you know, come up playing shows with and stuff. Yeah. And we were like, later suckers, <laughs> we're going to LA. Yeah. And then all those bands blew up as soon right after we moved out to LA. I, I think the answer to that question is different in 1999 than it was than it was even in like maybe 2003, 2004 as the internet started coming into play. Mm. You know, I think we were still of the very old school mentality of like, no, you have to go to LA or New York to get noticed. And I think that started to change very soon after we left with the internet. And and yeah. so today, you know, I don't think it really totally matters where you are. I think there there still is a benefit to being part of a scene wherever that is, yeah. And we came out to L.A. and I was lucky enough. This is skipping forward in the story, but I was lucky enough to to find a, a scene that happened to be in Los Angeles of of like minded musicians, bands yeah. like Phantom Planet, Rilo Kiley, um, Rooney, uh, Simon Dawes, which would become Dawes, you know. And and uh, so we we found a, a cool little click of a musician. Wherever you can find that, where you're playing shows, uh, you know, writing songs uh, with other people, and it, it, it's sort of mixing that all together. So we moved out to to LA. We we moved out to what we thought was Los Angeles. We we rented a house in Anaheim, which we we we're thought be, we
0: thought was LA. You want to be close to Disneyland. Right? We
1: wanted to be close. We were a mile from Disneyland. We could see the the fireworks from Disneyland every night. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that we because we ended up winning. The, the finals that were here in Los Angeles, we won $25,000. So we used that to, to move out here. And so we you already moved in when you actually played at the finals and won? We were, we were in the process of moving in while we were playing the finals. Yeah, okay. we were, we'd sort of dropped our stuff off at the house that we found and then went to the finals and then we won. And we took back the you know oversized check to the living room yeah. <laughs> in Anaheim. Yeah. And uh, that's so, so awesome. that's, that's what got us out. That's what got me out yeah. to LA. So, so Ernie Ball gave you guys a, a moving credit basically. To yeah. Come out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, it brought us out here and it was, I mean, it was, that was a magical time. Music is, is great because it, it's not a competition. So you rarely get that sort of feeling. Like it, it, it was, it was, you know, like an Olympics type of moment. Like when we found out we won, we didn't think we were going to win there was there was a there was like a heavy band from Oklahoma called Lure. And I was sure they were going to win. But when when the judges announced their name, that was another thing. All the judges there, you know, it was hosted by Dweezil Zappa and Blue Saraceno. And, you know, there was like Duff McKagan was there. I think CeCe DeVille was there. Paul Gilbert was there. I got to meet Paul Gilbert. Wow, yeah, very which, guitar heavy here. It was very guitar heavy. So we were just completely starstruck. You know, it was an awesome night. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, okay.
0: thanks to Ernie Ball. Yeah, that is great to hear. Okay. So you guys move out to Southern California, close to LA. Yes. Um, and there's a band called Kara's Flowers, which yes. will eventually change its name to Maroon 5. So how did you get to know those guys?
1: Well, this comes back to Ernie Ball again, because at the, the finals of the Battle of the Bands competition, they had Real Big Fish headline the show. So while the judges were deliberating, Real Big Fish came out and they played a set. So I met those guys that night. There was a little bit of serendipity. We we ended up moving down to Anaheim. They lived in Orange County, too. So I, I ran into those guys again. It was like, hey, I'm from Square, the band. They're like, oh, hey. And we became friends. I started hanging out with them and even played for Real Big Fish for a moment uh, when Aaron Barrett, the lead singer and guitarist, broke his hand. So that was one of my first real gigs. It was the first time I'd been in a tour bus or played in front of yeah. crowds that actually were wanted to hear us play. <laughs> you know, they, they've got hardcore fans. They still have um, hardcore fans all over the country, all over the world. So Aaron Barrett would always tell me about this band Cars Flowers. That was his favorite band. Cars Flowers had had gone and opened for Real Big Fish a couple of years prior. And I went with Aaron Barrett to go see Cars Flowers play in Pomona, California, and I saw them playing. I was just like, "Whoa, these guys! A, they can write songs. B, Adam's voice is is incredible." And they already had a, a huge presence. They already had a, a really loyal fan base. I was looking around at the show, and everybody was singing along to all these songs that were unreleased. Yeah, they were just demos that people had been trading. You know, CDRs of, so I could see that there was something really special, and I had this weird premonition that night. And I've told this story a million times, but I had this weird premonition right there at the show that I was, I was going to be in the band because there was at that point they were a four piece, and I could see that they needed another guitar player because uh, Jesse was switching between guitar and and piano, and they were they were sort of transitioning their sound from a more straight ahead power pop. Thing into a more R and B influenced, funk influenced sort of thing, which was totally within my wheelhouse, and I could just see exactly—I mean, I could like hear parts that I wanted to play to the songs that they, that they were doing a- at the time. I probably subconsciously knew that things weren't completely working out with Square. Okay, we weren't completely getting along, and so that was tough. Uh, but that led to—you know—I eventually met the guys they heard me play and were right away interested in, in having me come jam with them. Just kind of at first just filling in, they knew they needed another guitar player, but, uh, when I first started playing with them, it was the idea that, that I was just, uh, filling in until they could find someone more permanent. Okay. But then as, as we started playing together more and more, it, it became clear that they wanted me. And also I wanted to be in their band. So it was tough, but I had, I had to quit, uh, square and uh to to join yeah. what would become maroon five
0: i can back up real quick so so you you can see the direction they're going in you can see they need they need an extra guitar player and you can see that you're the right fit do you actually do you go up to them at the end of the gig and say
1: here i am missing ingredient you're welcome or is it no no <laughs> it was the vision come to reality <laughs> well uh i just knew i you know i saw him i could tell oh well these these guys are You know, these guys are a part of my tribe. Like, I I need to connect with them. I You know, I went up and introduced myself to Mickey that first night, and I think he kind of just blew me off. You know, they had a lot of, you know, fans and groupies down there in Orange County. I think I kind of just got blown off. Actually, the the first time we really connected with them, we got to open up for them. Uh, So Square actually opened up for Cars Flowers at a place called The Chain Reaction in Anaheim. And that was the first time they saw me play, and because they were there for sound check, and so they heard us warming up, and and right then, you know, Jesse and Adam came up to the front and listened to the sound check, and were were watching me, and I could tell right away that they they got it. Yeah, their eyes on you. <laughs> nice, that's awesome. So
0: obviously, an incredibly difficult decision for you to leave the band that you just went all in for, move to California. Actually, I've heard you talk about this where it wasn't simply changing bands. This is full on breakup where you're actually yeah. moving out of your house. So where where did you go? Did you have like living arrangements set up when you were going to break the news to them?
1: Yeah, it, it was exactly like like a breakup. Because at the time Square, we were all living together in this this tiny house in Anaheim. So when I broke the news to them the next morning, Jesse came down from L.A. with a U-Haul truck and we moved all my, all my shit out of the house with... The other two members of the band just sort of sitting on the porch with their arms folded. <laughs> it was it was actually pretty heavy. Did pretty. you move in with Kara's flowers? Yeah. So Did then I then I moved in temporarily with with Jesse. Moved and then right in with the new girlfriend. Straight in, and then then moved into a house with Adam and Sam and a bunch of other people. It was a kind of a crazy party house, but
0: not Anaheim at this point, right? No. This okay. this
1: was up up in Los Angeles, up in Los Feliz, where I've I've lived ever since. And in that house, you know, we started rehearsing. Right when I joined, a deal was being discussed with Octone Records. So I joined uh, and then we signed that, that first record deal. So right away, we were, we were about to work on that, that first record. So we were still writing songs for that record. We were practicing and playing shows around L.A., playing at the Whiskey, playing at Roxy. Playing at the Viper Room, um, going down to Orange County to play. And we were writing songs and in that house in the sort of back studio that we had there, uh, you know, we wrote Finish That Record. Uh She Will Be Loved was written back there. A lot of the songs that we recorded on the first record were already written, but um we were just uh, you know, living music you know, all day, every day. And, you know, I had to still work some jobs to to because we weren't uh making any money yeah. Yet. so yeah. I was taking the bus down Sunset Boulevard every day to go make copies at UCLA which was my last legitimate job that I've <laughs> held all right <laughs> hey w- originally was Adam the main guitar player yeah well originally Jesse and Adam played guitar okay uh, and Adam was was more of the lead guitarist he's a great guitar player mm-hmm. I mean I think enough people know that now I think for a long time people didn't know that but as we started uh, transitioning the sound you know he wanted to focus more on on vocals so there was there was a, as the songs sort of vocally became more challenging there was he couldn't really lay down a lot of those parts and at the same time Jesse was playing more and more keyboards because the sound was headed that way
0: but when you come in it's not automatic we we remove his guitar he's now a, a guitarless guitarless frontman
1: in those early days when there were 5 of us on stage usually yeah, maybe about half and half where we were both playing guitar. Okay. So sometimes time. he would remove his
0: guitar and he's just
1: a, a front yeah. man with
0: moves and a mic up front. E- exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it was yeah. about
1: a half and half back then.
0: Okay. So you guys changed your name to Maroon 5 because Maroon was everybody's favorite color and uh, there were five of you. And then what happens? Um, <laughs> the
1: origin of the name is a secret that, oh, okay. that only the band oh, yeah. knows. Fake news. Fake news. But yeah, the five was added because it turns out there was another band called Maroon. So I, I can divulge that. I think that happened to Blank 182, too. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, and Matchbox 20, yeah, okay. Dinosaur Jr. Common event. Band names are hard to come up with. Right. Um, like yeah. usernames, you just gotta add numbers at it, the end. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so uh yeah, that was that was the beginning of Maroon Five. I joined when I joined, we were cars flowers for about two weeks before we actually oh, that's it. Okay. changed the name. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's take a quick break, then we'll get back into the Maroon Five
0: story. Have you heard about Ernie Ball's new slinky sets? Introducing primo slinky, ultra slinky, mega slinky, burly slinky, and mammoth slinky electric guitar strings. Find your perfect gauge. Maybe it's primo slinky with a nine point five on the high E and a forty-four on the low E. Or maybe you're a drop tuner. Check out Mammoth Slinky, the 12 to 62 set. Ernie Ball's got slinkies for everybody. Learn more by visiting ernieball.com or your favorite guitar retailer. Get yours today. All right. So so Maroon 5 goes from an aspiring local band to one of the biggest bands on the planet. So that leaves a lot of room for, for steps in between. Are there any days or memories that stand out where, where it hit you you thought oh my god this is this is happening right now maybe the first time you heard a song on the radio or hit the charts or any celebratory moments that along the path that that pop in your head
1: Yeah I mean there's there's a bunch of them it was it was such a, a incremental steady climb It was a great way for it to happen because like every week there was every month there was something that was happening that that Things were growing, and we, and we, you know, we started, as you say, as a local band, signed to an independent label. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the beginning, we had a tiny budget to make the first record. Um, you know, compared to the 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 records that were on the radio, you know, this this wasn't the record wasn't supposed to be as big as it, it ended up being. Um, they were smart in that they gave us a small amount of of, of touring support to keep us touring on the road so after we finished that record we just immediately went out on the road we had some lucky breaks and getting opening slots uh, that was really important for us you know michelle branch that was the first tour that we opened up um, and we went out with the uh, you know a lot of bands that were big sort of regionally in different parts of the country mm-hmm. and then we started to get some some bigger opening breaks like with Matchbox twenty was big, and john Mayer was was huge because John Mayer had just really started to explode. Were you guys pretty much because I know you guys met what the
0: summer after high school right at, yeah at Berkeley mm-hmm. and were did your career
1: sort of rise in tandem as we were f- sort of finishing songs about Jane? he had really started to explode, and room for squares had started to go, so you know I had told the guys it was like oh i I know him, and they're like well you need to you need to <laughs> get Hell us. Enough hook it up you know get get an opening slot Uh, so i showed up at one of his shows that was at the house of blues on sunset which was an amazing show and i had an unmixed copy of songs about jane with me and my mission was to get backstage and and give it to him and and you know show him what we were up to by the time i got backstage there was a line of dudes that he went to berkeley with (laughs) <laughs> all with their demos, all trying to get backstage. Oh, that's funny! And I wouldn't have gotten backstage had it not been for Hanson, the band Hanson. Oh, wow! Who somehow uh, had gotten a hold of of our demos and had become fans of of Maroon Five, and and in fact had showed up to a couple of our shows, tiny shows in Los Angeles. I remember playing at the Roxy, you know, to about twenty people, and then. In the middle of the set seeing the three hansen brothers walk up to the front of the stage and start singing along to all the words of the song and so they were on their way backstage to john Mayer. they saw me and so i snuck in with them and that's how i got backstage to to connect with with john again and um eventually he did uh give us that opening slot which was huge for us. Yeah. So we we owe him a lot cuz it was the perfect moment and and um our style his style it really complemented each other at, at that point. Yeah, yeah. It was so it worked out great for us.
0: Yeah, cuz songs about Jane came out 2001
1: or 2? Two? It came out 2002. I like you said it that.
0: was kind of a for for how big the album got. There are a lot of big singles but then it was, I think it was 2005, you guys won Best New Artist, right?
1: So you were Two, work- 2006. Oh, really? Okay, so yeah. you're working off that first album that whole time. We right? were working off that first album that yeah. whole time. And that was uh, partly because we were an independent label, but it was essentially set up as a farm team. Clive Davis gave James Diener, who was the president of Octone Records, basically his, his own label to develop artists. And we were the first artist signed to that label. It was kind of an experiment, basically being like, We'll give you a, a small budget to put them out on the road, make their debut album. And at a certain point, if the artist is doing well, they'll be updrafted to the major label system and then have all the, the benefits of the promotion of a major label. That's how it worked for us. But those first couple of years, we were working it on a more independent grassroots level. Yeah, And it was working. And we were getting uh, people interested. People were coming out. To, they were hearing about the shows, coming out to the shows. We were starting to sell a small amount of records, in the markets where uh, the song was on the radio. I hate to call them markets in the cities where, <laughs> where, where, uh, where the song was on the radio. So it was doing well. And then the major label got involved and then sort of put their whole muscle behind it. And then it really started okay. to explode. So
0: gradual climb. But do you remember, for example, the first time you heard yourself on the radio I or any similar milestones? Yeah,
1: well, I mean, there was, there was a lot of milestones along the way. I mean, it was so cool to look at the, the, at the time of the sound scan numbers, you know, this is before streaming and all that, uh, illegal downloading of MP3s was happening on college campuses, but, uh, you know, it was still based on, on record sales. And so we could see every week in sound scans like, Oh, we sold 11 CDs in Chicago. And then the next week was like, we sold 14 CDs in Chicago next week. Like 20 so so that was really cool to watch and then yeah harder to breathe started to to really connect on on alternative radio at that, was first. First and released, that was the right? first single that was the first single and it and it did well enough on alternative radio that they they took it over to top 40 and then so that was the first time i probably heard it on the radio like i, I do have a vague recollection of hearing it on kiss fm the first time driving back here when we were home in Los Angeles and that that was so cool and then it just snowballed by the time we released this love then then we had like our our first appearance on Saturday Night Live that was that was a real milestone for me that was just like whoa we've really made it and you know doing Letterman for the first time there was there was a funny thing that happened my parents still lived back in Lincoln at that time and so when I would go to visit them, I'd go see the dentist because I didn't have a dentist sure. out in Los Angeles. You know, like you yeah, still yeah. have your parents' dentist. So I went back and the dentist knew that I was out in, in L.A. pursuing music, but I don't think he really knew that like things were actually going well. For So he joked, he's like, well, uh, you know, I hope the music's going well. Maybe, you know, one day we'll see you on Letterman. I said, oh, yeah, in two weeks we're going to be on Letterman. <laughs> and he was like, well, huh? i was like no literally no we're actually we're gonna be on letterman in in two weeks (laughs) (laughs) all right you guys have had some some mega hits
0: are there certain have there been certain songs where when you're in the midst of them writing recording them that you have a strong feeling like, okay this we just we're nailing this one this one's this one's going big
1: yeah having been in involved in that process now a a few times we have many hits i don't uh, I've been as as as, wrong, as many times I've I've been wrong as as okay. I've been right. Yeah. So you know I think the first time we all felt it was after we had written "She Will Be Loved." We've, we felt like, okay, if this doesn't work as as a song on the radio, then we don't know what was, and that that turned out to be true. But and then over the years, you know, I, I think we've got a pretty good idea because I think we've we've got a pretty good track record so so we have some sort of idea but then there's there's songs that i've heard where i've been kind of like yeah like like uh girls like you which is you yeah, know huge. definitely yeah. huge one of our biggest songs ever i i thought like oh that's great that's really cool but i i didn't see that coming gotcha yeah, but yeah. like you know sugar i heard that and i was like okay that one's going yeah. for sure so so i never really know mm-hmm. this our, our current single right now memories I heard that and I said, okay, this one's special. And that's, you know, that's, we're still in the process of seeing exactly where that's going to go, but it's doing really well. Yeah. That's connecting with people.
0: So Moves Like Jagger, as I understand, that's the first time you guys brought in some outside collaboration. Yeah. What does that song, or at least the original idea or song, the version of it, what does that look like? Was it specifically written for
1: Maroon 5? No. It it was written, uh, so yeah, that was up until that point, we had prided ourselves on we wrote every note within the band. Yeah. And Moves Like Jagger came in. It was originally written, I believe, for... I, I know that, that at one point maybe Janelle Monet was going to do it. I think at one point it was pitched to Gwen Stefani. Really? Yeah. And I think they both turned it down.
0: Did it have that guitar line already in it?
1: It had the guitar line. It had the whistle and it had the hook. Um, but I don't think the the verse lyrics were written. There was there was like a, an early, you know. Sometimes with with demos, they'll just be nonsense sort of lyrics attached to melodies. Okay. There was some version of it that just kind of had nonsense words, and it was at a time it was our third record. We had put out a couple singles that hadn't done that well, and so we knew that we needed to do something different. Mm-hmm. And Adam had recently gone in and sung on a collaboration with Jim Class Heroes that was produced by Benny Blanco, who also worked on Moves Like Jagger. And so in that session, Benny played Adam Moves Like Jagger. And it was one of those times where he said, well, this is crazy enough to maybe work. It was, it was definitely a 180 for us in terms of our sound. We hadn't really gone into that electro-pop sort of top 40 glossy sound. Yeah.
0: The guitar line still sounds like it could be yours, though.
1: But the the guitar line, yeah, that was kind of one of the through lines. Uh, I don't think, I don't know if we would have been able to make that transition if if it didn't really have that element. Because I think if you talk about uh, stylistically what makes something Maroon 5, because all the time I hear things, oh, it sounds like Maroon 5. I'm always curious as to what that means. And I think one of the things that you could say is like, that clean funky yeah i think your guitar part sort of yeah a lot yeah. that's uh you know you know a minory sort of funk guitar sort of riff i think that's that what is what makes a, a maroon song sound like maroon so yeah the, it's it seemed like uh it seemed like a good sort of risk to take at that point and it definitely paid off mm-hmm. was the impetus to, to have it released was that the first season of the voice uh it was the first season of the voice um that, that the timing of all that also came together to benefit the band greatly because when Adam signed up for the Voice, we didn't know that it was going to be the success that it was yeah, either. Yeah. You know, for a while, I was thinking like, "Oh, this is this is the end of the band." You know, like he's going on a American Idol show. Like mm-hmm. this, it, it seemed the the idea at, at the beginning seemed so corny to me. And like it sounded more detrimental to the band than than yeah. upside. Yeah, we didn't. I I don't think anybody really understood what it was going to be, and it was kind of just like, well, yeah, go do it. I mean, it's a good paycheck, but like, I it's certainly not going to help the band, you know. Like, I, it just didn't. It didn't seem. Yeah. Who, who would have known? It's Time consuming. You got to yeah, tour yeah. and record yeah we're going to be able to tour less, yeah. and you know. Yeah. But it, it it was just exactly the opposite. I think it allowed people to connect. At that point, we had a lot of radio songs, a lot of songs that were out there, but I don't think people connected the singer with the song. I think the songs were more popular than mm-hmm. than the band itself. So I think with Adam being out there, beamed into everybody's living rooms every night, they connected his personality with the songs that they already knew, and then it just created demand for, for more songs. Yeah. And it was, And that, coupled with the timing of moves like Jagger, which was this new sound for us. You know, we, we played that song for the first time on the voice. It just created this whole second wave of success for us, yeah, which was great. That's awesome. Do you watch the voice? No, <laughs> I, uh, I watched, I did watch the second season and I got into it and I was like, okay, I understand. I get, Yeah, yeah. I, I get this, but you know, I, my job is to, to listen to Adam's opinions, So I don't need to seek that out for entertainment
0: <laughs> when you did watch it <laughs> no since you've known him for so long and lived with him and toured with him forever could you predict like who he's gonna pick or what he was
1: gonna say or, or what bands you'd like or uh singers? not really no um but I, I did i did come away with not not necessarily while i was watching it but at one point i was called in to be a, a guest mentor I, I got the call like the night before they were taping it yeah so i'm sure that like someone more famous or appropriate oh, they canceled at the last minute so they yeah. needed somebody they're like oh well you know i like, can get my bandmate." but through that process i i came away with a a respect for for what he he does there and actually guiding the the young talent I you know being in the room and seeing him do it and seeing uh the things that he could come up with that would help them improve their performances it was like oh okay this, you, you can yeah. actually do this. Yeah, You're yeah. actually getting pretty good at this. Yeah. Because uh, I, I went in there and I was like, you guys are all great. I don't know what to say. <laughs> like, that was amazing. Yeah. Like, I couldn't do that. That's well, awesome.
0: Yeah. He's got, I don't know how many seasons under his belt, all of them in,
1: until now. Yeah.
0: How's, how else has the band changed since The Voice?
1: The shows got bigger. Um, you know, we were able to play less shows, but they were all bigger but we were able to to keep up a pretty steady pace of touring and and making records during it but i'm i'm looking forward now that that uh it's finally ended i mean at the beginning i don't think anybody expected him to do 16 seasons yeah like that's insane yeah. so i'm looking forward to to seeing uh, you know i think we're going to be able to tour a little more extensively which okay. is which is great i mean it was it was also nice up until the voice we just said yes to everything and we were so busy and constantly on the road and and during those those times when he was taping it was a complete break for us or mostly so that was nice and kind of added some balance to all of our lives yeah all right now for the real juicy stuff what kind of guitar do you play bc rich no oh. just- <laughs> <laughs> i can't really picture that actually <laughs> Um no uh so I've been straight up music man now for I don't what year did we start that? I'm it I think 3 years ago? 4? Four? Four, 4 years ago. Yeah, for 4 years. Yeah, it was such a cool process to to design this this guitar and it's it's really 4 years later it really it's the only guitar I've used live since we designed it because we I think we we ticked all the boxes, so I haven't needed anything else. It gets you through your whole entire live show then? It gets me through the entire live show. I mean, wow. I, I really I have I have four guitars that I travel with, and the only reason I have four is because uh, we have some songs we play in E-flat and some we play in E. Mm. So I've got the E main and the backup and the E-flat main and the backup. I feel like I've seen you with that trans buttermilk the most. Is that your main guitar? That's or? the main one, okay. yeah. That's the main standard tuning guitar and so that's the one that I I play most often yeah because I don't really I have those other ones as backups but I don't really make it to Mm -hmm. them because because the guitars are so So well made I I never yeah yeah. (laughs) you play in that middle pickup position mostly yeah I think the the middle pickup is probably my main sound lately I've been leaning more towards the neck pickup on the 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 coil tap Oh, okay. Yeah. When you hit the tone knob on that, then it splits that the neck humbucker. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've been going a little bit more I don't know for some reason. That one for like say moves like Jagger, mm-hmm. for that that clean, funky sort of Niall Rogers, it's it's almost like a like a fourth position strat type of sound to me. It's different, but I love that sound. I'll go the bridge pickup for like the riffs. Like on harder to breathe mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, yeah, you got that like tele that really cuts yeah, through. It's like a tele bridge style pickup, yeah. bridge pickup. Yeah, but yeah, the middle, you know, the, like we were talking about the the Maroon Five sound is 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 that that middle position. Totally, it's got so much optionality,
0: which is really cool.
1: Yeah, and that's that's some of the feedback that I get back from it. Um, that it can do everything. You know, I love. You know, I'll I'll lurk around on Instagram and and uh, look at people you know who t- tag me anytime. Like you tag me on Instagram with your Valentine guitar, you'll see me like pop up in your comments because oh, cool. I, I love yeah, seeing yeah. that. Yeah. So I'll go around and see what people are doing with it. Yeah, it's been cool. You know, I, I see it in like there's a lot of uh, like worship bands that use it. You know, who I think need to th- do a lot of different styles, like within oh the versatility. Yeah, yeah. so I. I, li- I like seeing it in that or like even like with cover bands because like a, yeah. for a cover band gig, like you could use that guitar for yeah. for everything. Yeah, yeah. And to see country guys use it and stuff too because mm-hmm. it obviously has its telly roots. Is, that's really cool. I, I love seeing it out in the wild. It's awesome. Yeah.
0: All right, uh, Super Bowl, about as big a gig as you could get. Yeah. It seems from the outside that it required inflicting a decent amount of pain on yourselves. Yes,
1: was it worth doing, sure, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was yeah it was it was a lot, you know um at the end of the day, we played the Super Bowl, we can say we played the Super Bowl, There yeah. was you know we've been so blessed, lucky in our careers, uh and had so many great opportunities, and that was like one of the last things that that we hadn't done, so right. so we've we've done it now, yeah, but yeah. um. Let's just say I'm glad it's over. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That was a lot. Uh, Yeah. That was a lot. But it was great. It got me off of Instagram and and Twitter. for. It got me off of social media for a while. Oh, man. Which was great. It was a a well-needed break. I would recommend to anyone, you know, just take a break. Just put it down for a while. Change your passwords and then give them to a friend. (laughs) And then don't let that friend... That's what I did. Because, you know, like I find myself like going on there all the time. I still... I just recently got back on, and my life has not improved at all. Then you just get into the yeah. new cycle and stuff. How do
0: you how do you deal with that? I mean, I guess can you can you just open Spotify and say, okay, yep, we
1: got billions of of streams, we're good. Clearly, yeah, we yeah. have <laughs> lots of fans. I don't need to worry about this. Yeah, that's that's one way to deal with it. No, it's but you know, I think just just with, with anything else, you just have to manage it. And and uh, the type of success that we've had doesn't come without. uh a lot of criticism let's say yeah and i and i think we've always been pretty realistic about that and and you see that whether it's you know in in movies you know if you're at this center of pop culture you know you're going to take some licks and that's okay
0: even on lower levels anytime
1: you put something out to the public you
0: kind of have to be ready
1: you have to be for ready for whatever exactly yeah. and you just have to yeah um and that's okay you know our lives are so blessed that uh, you know it, it really it doesn't it, it can't affect us that yeah. much you know we yeah. we're, we're we're doing fine. All right, what are you up to these days? We just released a new single, so we we've just started to go out and promote that and we're trying to work on a record that that single will be a part of. So we've been here in Conway Studios where we're coming to you yeah today live uh we're we've finished this first round of recording. We've tracked a few songs but you know we're still we still have a lot of work to do on this record, so we'll still be continuing to write songs, uh, compile songs, work on the songs we have. You know, it's the the record making process today is so much more piecemeal than it used to be back in the day. Like in songs about Jane, it's just like we moved into a studio for you know four months mm-hmm. and we made the record. We came out when the record was done. Now it's it's more like we'll record a song here, record a song there. Maybe a song's in progress and they'll send it to me and I'll record a guitar part in my house. It's like technology allows us to do all that. Yeah. How do you guys feel about releasing singles versus albums? Well, we still have a traditional record deal. And I, I love albums. I love collections of songs. But, you know, in the streaming world, it it, it really incentivizes just releasing singles. Yeah. Um, those are the only songs that that end up for us in our 90 minute live set, at this point, we only have time to really play the singles. So album tracks really won't even make it into our live show. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's really changing. i I think you know, the collection of songs as an album is still a great way to deliver songs. But I think for most artists, just releasing s- singles as they come along might be more beneficial. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's just staying in the public consciousness. It's, diff- it's it'll be interesting to see what we do going forward, you know, after we fulfill our our album deal and which is, you know, we owe them mm-hmm. three more albums of songs. I wonder if if we'll shift to a model where we're just releasing one song at a time. Gotcha. Another trend that seems very prevalent well, you guys
0: with uh, Moves Like Jagger collaborated with Christina Aguilera. I feel like since then, there's been so many mega collaborations. Is that a trend that you think will continue? Yeah. Just ac- I, across popular music in general.
1: Yeah, I think I think that does. Uh, I, I think you'll continue to see a lot of that. You know, I think everybody is competing for attention and that's a great way to, to yeah. get attention right away. And you know, I think the, the, the rap verses in a lot of ways replace the guitar solo. That's true. As as the sort of break, you know, I think, um, you know, people really like those collaborations and they, they really work. Um, they're a lot of fun too. I mean, it's, it's it's fun to be like, Hey, you know, here's room five and then boom, here's a completely different thing, you know, break before we come back. It's, Yeah, And uh, yeah, they work really well. So I think there'll be lots more of those.
0: What are the best and worst parts of your job?
1: I feel so privileged to be able to play music for a living. That was my goal when I moved out to Los Angeles. It's really hard to to really speak negatively about any aspect of it. I really have a a dream job. So um, everything's the best. If there's one thing about touring at different points of our career... Uh, touring can be tough, being away from your friends and family, and yeah, and uh, just for for long amounts of time. And the older I get, it's also rough. Like international travels can be like rough. Yeah, like jet lag is is real. And there's no way to avoid it. That's the only negative thing that I can really think of. All right, it's, it's, it's all it's all great. I will not complain.
0: Any advice for aspiring bands today to make that want to make it in the industry?
1: Yeah, I'm, well, the advice that I always tell young bands, artists, guitarists, singers is, is right every day. I think for me, I, I came into music, you know, I think my main goal, I, I was picturing more of a career as, as a session guitarist. And I really love playing guitar, coming up with parts. Um, and when I joined the band, you know, with, with Adam and Jesse and, and Mickey, like they, They were really focused on songwriting and and really sort of pulled me more in the direction of of that. You know, that's the most important part of of what we do. And so I'm I'm always just telling younger artists like just write all the time because the the process of writing bad songs is how you, you get to learn how to write good songs. So I always challenge people. It's like, write a song every day. That's how you learn how to do it is by doing yeah. it. And I think there's, there's a lot of fear around that that process in the beginning. Um, so anything you, that you can do to sort of turn off your editing mind while you're creating and just allow yourself to create, I think that that's the biggest benefit to anyone's musicianship. What do you think were the keys to Maroon 5's making it? I think... At the heart of everything, there were there were always great songs that, that really resonated with people, and and that's that's number one. Work ethic too, or do you think- work, Yeah, work ethic, absolutely. All that other stuff, but but there's, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of musicians I know that are that are my friends that, that have worked really hard and 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 had the songs and, and done everything else. So, uh, you know, luck. Is, is a part of it too. And, I, uh, and, you know, as much as I'd love to just, and we'd love to just take credit for everything that's happened, there's luck, luck helps too. Because there's a lot of great musicians out there. There's a lot of great talent out there. And there's just, uh, who knows? You know, it's, it's some people just get some breaks. <clears throat> what are some of your other interests apart from music? Up until I was about 30, I really didn't have any other hobbies outside of music but then I started playing tennis. I love tennis. I take like two tennis lessons every week. That's awesome. And I play, I play in, uh, in the league at my club. I just won the 4.5 men's doubles championship last weekend for the second year in a row. Wow. Do they know you only started when you were 30? Oh yeah. You I remind I remind them all the time. Yeah. Um, so I love that, but I'm also interested in uh, meditation and, uh, doing Vipassana meditation retreats oh, okay. and, and, and working on that daily practice. found that really beneficial. Okay. I'd recommend that to anyone. James Valentine, thanks for being on the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. Thanks again for tuning in to Striking Accord Chord, Ernie Ball podcast. If you're not a subscriber, why not subscribe and stay apprised of new episodes? If you'd like to contact us, email strikingaccord at ernieball.com.
1: while i wanted to just play jazz when i was a teenager so you you had one foot in in the
0: in the grunge rock scene and another in a more jazzy scene
1: yeah so i was kind of like really like a rock guitar player who knew some jazz licks which kind of made me stand out in yeah. lincoln because there was like one other jazz guitar player in town yeah well <laughs> hey the the uh the combination worked out for you yeah yeah so it ended up working out